Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello! Listen, you smell something? Hello and welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. I'm Josh. I'm Chancellor. That was our wonderful intro music by Nathan Owen. We are filmmakers, we are fans, and we're a bit furious this week. I don't know about you guys. Weren't we furious last week? I know exactly why you're furious, Shane. Uh, We were feeling a bit fervent last week. Oh, Um, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. We're a bit furious this week because I read the article. Sorry, I'm about to burp. Um, we read Tasty. the article. We don't edit here. <laughs> Every take is perfect. <laughs> um, we read the Uma Thurman article about Quentin Tarantino. It's so stupid. It's I, I checked the road one way, but not the other way. I haven't, what the fuck? I haven't had my respect for someone drop so fast, and especially someone who you respected so much. So yeah, much. you. Yeah, I didn't respect Kevin Spacey. I liked the movies he was in, but I wasn't like Kevin Spacey's my favorite actor of all time. So when you know the stuff comes out, it just it ruins the movie. But. You know, my, I don't have. I can't watch Mr. Fuzzy Pants at all anymore, and it's heartbreaking. You're you mean, uh, Nine, Nine lives? lives? Yeah. It's got a better title here. That's the one thing I'd say about that movie. It is a better title in Australia. Mr. <laughs> Fuzzy Pants, so much better than Nine Lives. Um, but yes, reading that article Fuck. spurred me to make this episode about being on a film set because I think it's an interesting topic, both for people who make films and people who don't. I know anything about what filmmaking. goes on on a film set? Yeah, what because I think there's a lot on. of. I thought what happens on a film set stays, stays on, the, on the film. We're set. breaking the first rule of film set. Oh, you don't film talk co- about film, film set. set. <laughs> uh, well, that's the Weinstein rule. Um, <laughs> uh, but we're 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 gonna uh, sort of see if we can uh, uh, open a, a little bit of a. An, an eye onto that and sort of offer our opinions as, you know, highly respected talk professionals in our craft as we are and, you know, the, our Oscar-winning directors here at this table. Yes. Sure. Yes. <laughs> or that just talk about us. it more on the local level. Yes, like, yes. Um, but first of all, we ask, we start every episode or we try to start every episode by asking, what have you been watching? And what have you been watching this week, Josh? I watched the documentary on the Shousing and Psycho 7852, right? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. It's on Netflix, isn't it? Yes, it just yeah, recently dropped on Netflix. So did a monster Fest did a traveling show. It's the same one that where we saw Raw. Yeah. Um, the same company is it like brought it up to yeah. it's the Monster Fest traveling horror oh, thing. Yeah. And they had a bunch of they did the 4K uh, restoration of uh, Suspiria at the same right, time. Okay. But I wasn't yeah. particularly interested in that because I'd just seen it on 35 mil like a yeah. couple months before that. Anyway, fuck Suspiria. We're talking about Psycho. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so if you don't know the famous shower scene from Psycho, which everyone should know, it's like the dun dun dun, like the Bernard Herman score and everything. So this documentary sort of... Um, you mean the scene from The Simpsons where Maggie beats Homer over the head with a hammer? That's the one. Sure. It's, it's also, that's also in the documentary, but <laughs> It um, is. Wait, is it actually in the documentary? Yeah, they reference they, it. They oh. go through all these pop culture references. They reference how the influential scene. the shower scene is. Yeah, yeah so they discuss um, people who are like a lot of directors, like Richard Stanley's on there, which is a fun one. I remember from Island Dr. Moreau. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, 
and just Elijah Woods in there with his Guillermo friends. Del Toro. Guillermo del Toro is in there. Just a bunch of directors and editors, like which is nice. Um, and they discuss like the aesthetics of the shower scene, like the cultural impact, um, how it was made, like the like they go through the storyboards and like the script. So the title is a reference to it. Seventy eight. Uh, yeah, it's a scene number. Or no, like, no, it's 78 it, cuts. 78, 78, okay, yeah. Something, 52 edits. 78 shots, 52 edits or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's related to that. And yeah, it's it's a very fascinating. It could have gone a bit deeper if I, like, personally, I want to hear more about, like, the form and techniques, but they're talking more about, like, what it inspired and what it means. To yeah, they're everybody. talking about, well, yeah, and I, like, I mean, I get that, and I get that that makes usually for that a was, it, It's interesting, too, but, like, The I, film nerd in me wants yeah, more. Yeah, I, I want more, more now. More shop talk? Yeah. I want more yeah, shop talk yeah, when people are talking absolutely. about movies. Um, and the other thing we've we'll been watching, uh, I've also been watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, like catch, like yes. rewatching it again, like and catching up, and it's very. Are you up to the current where they are now? Yeah, um, I finished season four, so I haven't watched season oh, I'm five. On five. Sorry, sorry, yeah, Not, um, no well, season what, five. What's on Netflix at the moment? Uh, up to four. Okay, up to four. so they only air it on Netflix after it's finished its season run. Yeah, I think, and they wait yeah. like a couple of weeks. They or wait something. a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's it. And Charles. Cool. Um, so uh, I have finally started season two of The Good Place. Nice. I am yes. really liking I where it's going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's interesting. I, I, I just don't know where it's going to go by the end of the season, but I I'm just need someone to talk to about it because like, I'm, I'm alone. I'm sorry. I'm only three episodes <laughs> in. I'm only one episode in. <laughs> oh, God, guys, I'm come on. better than someone. Um, I watched the Netflix special Little Evil. Oh, the one with Scott. Uh, uh, from Parks and Rec. Yeah, from Parks and yeah. Rec. Um, Adam Scott. Adam mainly Scott, because yeah. uh, I can't find my Omen DVD I actually box set. I did the exact same thing. I watched it because <laughs> I'm like, I couldn't watch the Omen. Yeah, I can't find my Omen DVD box set, so I watched uh, Little Evils. It, it was surprisingly good. It's, I didn't know where it was going to go in the end, but like after it happened, I'm like, it's so obvious. Yeah. I thought it was going to get super dark. I was mm. like, will this happen? But it didn't. It was a, like, Is it a, good? Yeah, I think it was. It's, it's a fun movie. It's, it's a fun movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's the best movie ever but it, it's an enjoyable movie that I don't hate and after <laughs> Cloverfield last week <laughs> I needed something I didn't hate um, and then uh, after that I've finally been catching up on my uh, honourable mentions for the best movies of the year I watched Get Out oh <gasps> yes, yes! Finally. what did you think what did you think oh, I, th- I thought it was brilliant my only complaint is that at the end they didn't go back and help Andre Andre mm. still fucked man which one's Andre? Andre's the guy who they still yeah. see and he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know yeah, that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Well, how do you know the, the, the cold open? What? No, no, but know? he's far. He's gone. He's like, he's like the guy. Like he has to be killed because he eats. Because what it is is what's left inside the people is only a sliver of what their personality yeah. is. You cannot That's why, bring like, him he, back. He from okay, process, which is why, yeah, it, which the, is why the, the other guy had to die and yeah. the, the, no, okay, and the mother had to die and stuff like. Fuck. Did you did you watch that alone? No, I watched it with Chanel. Oh, what was, what was that like? <laughs> As an interracial couple, I <laughs> started getting I'm worried <laughs> that I think maybe they may be taking over my white body. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. We've only been married for three years. Who knows what could happen next? Their parents, her parents live upstairs. I don't know, man. You need to I'm watch. You need to go and watch that movie again. It is infinitely better on a rewatch. Oh, really? I think. I think it's infinitely because well, you understand the context of a lot of things, like the bingo scene. Yes. now makes well, horrific oh, oh, sense. Th- thinking back, just thinking back to things that I saw earlier in the movie, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And everything that is set up. Her, her interaction with the cop, like no paper trail or anything, yes. or no IDs. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Uh, it, I think. Uh, 
No, I definitely will give it a second watch now and see how that goes. I don't reckon. I really want him to five. I reckon that's top six movies of last year. I really want him to steal the screenwriting award away from Martin McDonough because I think that would be the coolest. That that would be. Yeah, I don't. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I reckon, but I really, I also really want Daniel Kaluuya to take it out from under Gary Oldman. That would be cool. I feel like Gary Oldman's like a career Oscar. Yeah, it's a very obvious Oscar. Was the girlfriend nominated for an Oscar? She should have been. That the phone call scene. Yeah, Chanel was floored by that. Chanel was like, "Holy shit, so good!" And then like the Fruit Loops and the milk. Oh, that movie is so good. Uh, And then after that, I also watched Free Fire. Ah, yeah. Which I gotta say, I'm glad I waited. Not because I think it's a bad movie whatsoever, just because after watching it. Because I really enjoyed it. There, there were a few little things, like you said, the uh, the um, uh, it was a little confusing where everyone was. The geography wasn't well established, but I enjoyed it. And then going back and watching the trailer, I was like, "Oh, this is why people didn't like it. It's one of those trailers that didn't sell the movie properly." They- it sold it as an action comedy, and it was a. Not a comedy. It's it's funny. It's quirky it has funny, and funny moments, but you know, every... which is what Ben Wheatley did. It's what he does with um uh, High Rise as well. High it's Rise is not much funny. harder satire. That's true, <laughs> but very. I, I love that movie, and uh, I don't think it's in my top ten. I I, I honestly feel because I rewatched it again. Colossal. I think Colossal is my number one movie of last year. Really? I, I, wow. I, it's, it, it's like um, it, it more than Shape of, of Water. Yes. Get out. I'm sorry. Not the movie. No, no. Get out. Now. <laughs> no, no, get, get out was number six or something. <laughs> no, it, it's like how I don't think it's a better movie. I enjoyed it more though. It's, yeah, it's I, I, I remember it's, it's a different scale. Was like it was, when yeah. I watched it, I was like, "This is a chance to movies yeah. through and through." Like, like Dirty Run Scoundrels is my favorite movie of all time. I don't think it's the best made movie. I'm, I plan to watch that this week and I never got around to you it. You bastard. <laughs> it's on Stan But talking moment. about that, oh, is it on Stan? Yeah, I'm going to yeah. give it a watch even though I've got it on DVD. Uh, what have you been watching, Shane? Uh, well, good question. Okay, the first one, Out of the Gate, I watched Black Panther. <laughs> Ooh, fuck, fuck you, me. man. It's good. It's so fucking good. And I went in keen but i was reserved because i don't like marvel stuff so i was like i'm gonna watch it because i think it's cool to support a a really diverse unique movie in the tentpole Mm. thing i thought i'd get a couple of interesting films i love chadwick boseman as an actor in everything he's ever done even the movies that are that that cast is bloody amazing so have you seen it josh i haven't seen it yet okay it's the trailer i might be seeing it this afternoon if i can convince you (laughs) um it oh it's it's everything I wanted to see and then it gave me a lot more. I think people are going to have problem with it being maybe not, like I think people are going in expecting it to be this revolutionary story or character development, but it's not. It's taking the hero. It's taking the hero and giving it to an African culture, an African experience, African creators, and that's what's so good about it. That's Mm. why it's huge. That's why it's important. And then it's just a technically... Very well-made movie. I think it has one of the strongest supporting casts yeah. out of any of the Marvel stuff. <clears throat> um, I also watched uh, uh, the other one, and this one's sort of a really big movie. Uh, it's it's a documentary called Paris is Burning. Okay. Um, right. And it's about ball culture, drag culture, and queer black and Latino culture in the mid to late 80s in New York, uh, in um is it Brooklyn? It's oh, I was going to say France. What did you call this movie? It's called Paris is Burning because okay. that's the name of the club. So there's this oh, thing. Oh, okay. It, like 
fuck me, this movie is good. As a documentary, it's phenomenal. As just a, it does, it's like, it's 72 minutes long or something like that. And it does, it gives you these characters, it makes you care for them in the shortest amount of time. Most movies spend three hours and they can't get that level of efficiency that this movie does. But it's, it's such an important movie. It's, I, I like I count like this movie should be mandatory viewing for everyone. It really right. should. Like, fuck, it's good. Um, and it also had me reminded that in this digital age, documentaries have kind of lost that thing of where the camera gets up in with the subjects. Yeah, that's kind of gone now because we zoom in from afar. We have really good quality kind of cameras. Whereas mm. Paris Shoot is burning. Crop in. Yeah, Paris is burning. Looks like it was shot on. I'm not 100 sure, but it was shot on like 16 mil film by the look of it. Um, up and the camera's up there with the subjects and it's truly awe-inspiring what this movie does. It's right on Netflix on. now. Oh, okay. I cannot oh, recommend it Good. enough to watch. Good. You need to be in, like, it's not a happy-go-lucky movie. <laughs> it's the 80s and queer culture, like, you know, AIDS becomes a big part of the narrative there. But Whoa, it's spoilers, absolutely man. worth seeing. Uh, well, it's interesting, I was looking up things and all but one of, all but two of the people featured in the movie have died. Okay. Most of them through AIDS-related illnesses, one of them through diabetes. Um, But it's very eye-opening, it's very emotional um, and very, very, very well made. Uh, So you all have to watch that one. Um, uh, I watched Creep. First yes. time based on your I keep finding Creep 2 on Netflix. Like I'm scrolling through, I'm like, oh, I got to see that. But they don't have Creep there. I think if I yes, look do. it up, if you look up I'll Creep. find it. Yeah. But it's not in any of the recommended Please, ones. guys. It's good. I, 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 maybe but Josh I, is I wrong. feel like, yeah, maybe I feel like I went in with like a little higher expectations on things because I'd heard a lot of raves about it. It's a very good, and what it sets out to do, it accomplishes that very well. And it tells a very good story. I just wanted like, Bit more to the end, I, and I know I'm oh, maybe yeah. Creep Two helps with that a bit. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I haven't seen Creep Two yet, but I, like it was very good and and easily um, Duplass's Jay Duplass's best performance. Like holy shit, yeah, Mark Duplass, yeah. Mark Duplass. Sorry, he's watch, watch so him in good. the sequel. He's better. Okay, really? Yeah. Okay, um, I saw the pilot episode of a show called Here and Now which yeah. is Alan Ball's new show. He's the one who created Six Feet Under and Drew yeah. Blood and he wrote American Beauty. Um, and this show is bizarre. I don't know where it's going, but I love the characters and I'm going to stick with it. It's like a kind of like a family drum about these two parents play brilliantly. Uh, Holly Hunter's one of them and Tim Robbins is the other. Ooh, Holly Hunter. And they adopted a bunch of uh, kids from different ethnicities, like four, three, three kids from different... Yeah. yeah, they brandlinered it to try and... And they used the kids as an advertisement for how progressive they were. So the kids are a little bitter so about everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're a little bitter about everything. And then one of the kids starts having these visions, which they people think are hallucinations, but they're you know, as the audience, we see that there's a bit more going on. They're connected. Things are connected. Cool. So and it's, so it's like supernatural family drama. It's a little vague. I reckon I like it's going to be. I reckon it's going to be. I think it's going to be a bit of a slow burn, but it is an HBO show. But yeah. the characters are great. I love the characters to pieces. Yep. They're already like really dimensional in a very short amount of time. Uh, Alan Ball's always been great with giving you a full dimensional character with a lot of efficiency. Um, yeah. And then I finished Star Trek Discovery, finished, and you need to watch it, Chancellor. You I'll absolutely need to watch it because the final episode does a thing that will have you spitting at the screen. It's good. It's okay. really fucking good. Uh, I was really happy with where they 
how they finished the season as an arc and what they did with the character. Really, really good. You both need to watch it. Excellent. Um, cool. And then I guess in relation to Paris is Burning, I have watched the first, first, my first episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. You're finally becoming <laughs> a true gay. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah. I have problems with reality television and watching RuPaul. Like, I used to watch this show called Face Off, which is about special effects makeup and people yeah. oh. like make a monster. Yeah. Every week, and they had like the lady who won the Oscar for Mrs. Doubtfire as one of the judges. So they did had, I like, watch that with you, or did I just randomly watch you it? Well? Mar- I probably I've randomly watched it. it. I, I watched it. seven seasons, and then I realized that I was watching the exact same formula repeated over and over and over again. And I was really only watching it for the last 10 minutes when they reveal the makeups, the final makeups. Yeah. Mm. And then you'd occasionally learn like silicon versus plaster and all these kind of different techniques, which was cool, but not like the best thing. Um, and I watched Ripple Drag Race and it's the exact formula. It's the first challenge, then the main challenge. The person comes in and does a round and talks to them about how when they're in the middle of their project. And I'm watching it and I'm like, I get how this is appealing, but dear God, it is so formulaic. Yeah. So formulaic for reality TV. Jake Peralta from Brooklyn. You're basic. <laughs> You're basic. Yeah, yeah. It's it I mean I get the appeal and I get for people who want to see that why it's good and why it's great. I'm just reality TV I I basically don't touch with a yard long stick. It's the bin. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, that's everything I've been watching. So this week we're talking about being on a film set. Uh, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what a film set is, even yeah. from people who are on film sets. You can as be we on a film set with a person and be like, this person don't know shit. Yeah. So what are the biggest misconceptions people have? Either layman or... Oh. Uh, Pat mm. has a really good word. He calls people who don't do films muggles. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's oh, great... that is brilliant. Yes. No, I will. It's it's great. Yeah. I am taking so that. <laughs> muggles, muggles versus film people. What yeah. are the biggest misconceptions? I don't know because I can't remember a time when I wasn't interested in film sets. Yeah, I've always always sort of always fought to be like watching special features, understanding even in a really basic way what they were. And then when Mm. I started being on them, like it's... Actually, you know what? Something that always still fucks me up is time. How much long things to... Things yeah, take yes, a long okay. time. Yeah. I, I literally got that, like, it's slow as okay. fuck. This yes. is the thing that really bugs me. They... Uh, when audiences just feel like, oh, movies are easy, they're they're basic, and like, you just you just get your camera right and you point it at something and you're done. I'm like, oh, God, no. no, lighting no. always takes the longest as well. That's yeah. always the the longest part. Uh, as as of someone who's like done stand and work on professional sets, that takes so much time because that is literally just me standing there as they put a bunch of lights on me, try a bunch of shit. Go, oh, okay, I think we, yeah, no, we'll get it. They'll get the actors in and then change it again because it's, it's got to be perfect. It, it, it takes an insane amount of time. And that's one shot. You're getting one shot. It's very, it, for people who aren't, like, like for muggles, mm. it's nowhere near as glamorous as anyone thinks it is. Not at all. No. It's very tedious. It's, it's very you're, technical. You're, you're down, like, you're, you're working. Like, yeah, it's creative. But, yeah, like you said, it's also technical. It's not like just walk in the park. You're not well, that's just the thing, like... I ha- think a lot of the artistic conversations have all happened before shooting started. Because yeah. shooting, so much of shooting is just practical problem solving. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, we've lost the sun. We need a new sun. Get these lights in, put it here. We need to make sure <laughs> we're not... Get a new sun. Get me yeah, a get HMI, a please. Get a 6K <laughs> light up in the, in, uh, in the sky. Um, I think that's yeah the glamour because a lot of people think it's really glamorous and yeah. it's not even and like watch any film's credit sequence and think 
you reckon all these people got a glamorous life? Those credits go for like a good three, four, five minutes. Or you should just ask, what would it be like to just be in a room full of that many people? Yeah. Is it going to, and then they're all talking over each other and all asking questions. Is it going to be pleasant or, yeah. Yeah, it's it's busy. Film sets are busy. Even Mm. when they're slow, they're very, very busy places. Yeah. Um, And even when they're going really, like, sorry, the work is slow, but your time is fast. Yes. You're always (laughs) running out of time. Also, time exists differently on a film set it's yep. than it is in real life. Like you just there's a there's like a film set time and then there's real time. And you're just like yep. where's real time going? Because I'm like, oh no, I've only done one shot. Yeah. Like then real time. You always and then you're like hours. the last it, it's like you work harder in the last twenty minutes of shooting than you <laughs> yeah. do in the first four hours. <laughs> I always find that it's all Yeah. So what what should filmmakers uh know about being on a set, do you reckon? What do you uh, think filmmakers don't know? Or people who are like wanting to get into film but haven't yet done a thing. They've only shot um, their own little projects but they're getting a crew together and they're listening to this podcast and they're going to give us a review, a high review and a good <laughs> rating and like us on Facebook and subscribe <laughs> to make sure our numbers go up. So Man, these hypothetical people sound great. They're um, so amazing. They're so amazing and we um, love them just, so much. Just a very first rule is know that things will go wrong and it's okay. Not er- not everyone's infallible. Like you, yeah. things are allowed to go wrong and they will. And they, they will. Always do. And, but, but it's okay. You just got to push for it. You got to believe and you just got to work it out. And like, it, and if it's, uh, if it doesn't work out then it's a learning, it's a lesson learned. And a lot of that yes. is, especially if you're the director or, or yeah. a sort of head of department, your job is not to, Oh, we couldn't get this thing. Oh, but you you can't lament it. You don't have the time to be sorry for it. Yeah, you don't have the time to grieve. You have to find a new way to do it. Problem solving. Yeah. It's all problem, problem solving. solving. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would argue that uh, you're you're always doing something, even though you're not doing something. Yeah. You've always got to be switched on and yeah. ready to do something. Even if you're just hanging by the side. And even side. if you're on the other side, and if you're the director, you're thinking of, oh, well, if this goes wrong, you're thinking of about. 72 different alternative ways mm. to do the thing that you're currently in the middle of trying to do in case it doesn't work out. Yep. And you're going to have eyes all around your head because you're yep. going to notice every little thing. Yeah. Um, but for me, one of the big things, and just given all the news that's coming out lately, sets should be safe. <laughs> they this is Australia, man. Safe. We were built on exploitation. Hey mate, we, if you're shooting at someone, you make sure that gun's loaded. We don't so wear a loud shoes bang. on set, and then you right? can kill you. <laughs> so you can kill Brandon Lee. You know, yes. <laughs> um, but like, like I mean, there's the Uma Thurman thing recently with the car, which there is no discernible reason as to why that decision should have been made. There is nothing. There is no reason why. Yes, the other road was safe, and then they switched it. So why didn't they check to see if that was safe? It, like, yeah, like I said, it does not it's make sense. Absurd as to why no one thought, but they don't. And then, but you have something like what happened to Sarah Jones, the camera assistant. Do you guys know? Uh, Sarah Jones is the where everyone had like a minute silence or something. Yeah, everyone yeah. put on their slates. R. The slates. Yeah. Sarah Jones and shared that everywhere. But do, do you know? No, I don't actually. So the, at the midnight something, there was some artsy pseudo western movie and they didn't get permission to shoot on these train tracks but then they were shooting somewhere nearby and they really wanted to shoot on the train tracks and they said they couldn't because they couldn't shut down the running trains so the director then has everyone go to do it guerrilla style without letting anyone know they had to all get on this thing and it was like a dream sequence there's like a hospital bed on a train track and the actor there 
And what happened is the train came, people were caught on the middle of the thing and Sarah Jones was mutilated by a train. She's the camera assistant and she was absolutely mutilated on the train tracks. Other people were like, hang, literally like the, they had to hang off the side of the bridge to not die and Sarah Jones didn't make it. And all because the director couldn't be fucked to say, we don't, we're not allowed to do this, so what's another way we can do this? He was like, no, I'm getting my shot. I'm doing my art and yep. that's it, it's so awful. And that's where I think... It's where you draw a line is yeah. like, because I believe in not compromising, but where I draw a line is fucking safety. Yeah. Fucking human lives. Like human if, lives. If human lives are in question, then it's not. And if you can't, as a director, if you can't figure out a way to do it, like um, there's a really great, so, you know, Uma Thurman talks about like being spat on and yeah. and you, everyone's heard stories about actresses getting like slapped so they can cry. Oh, for thing. Sticking to Tarantino, like choking, like yeah. dying Kruger and yeah. all that. Because like. he has this thing where he says all choking in movies doesn't look real so they need to really be choked and that's why he for real choked um, Diane Kruger on Inglorious Bastards. Bastards yeah. But... Um, so if anyone hasn't read it, there's a really great book called Making Movies by Sidney Lumet, the director of 12 Angry Men, mm. oh, uh, yeah. Dog Day Afternoon, iconic, iconic filmmaker, very influential. And he talked about there was one scene and an actress had to cry and he had the idea, he said, uh, whatever I do to you in the next thing, you, know, you do the take. And so he called action, he walked over, and he slapped her as hard as he can, she did the take and she cried and she came up to him after she's like, it's brilliant, you're brilliant. But he, And he says in the book, he says, and I felt sick with self-loathing because what I did was not worth what we got. And if you can't get it with craftsmanship alone, um, you, you're not you're not a good director. You and I, I, put it, I, I put it, I sort of reworded it differently. I think if you can't get it by craft and craft alone, you don't deserve to be on a film set. No. Because if the only, like people kind of are obsessed with how real, quote unquote, real the film is. Yeah. You know, doing things totally. practically in camera. And there is a thing to that when the CGI argument where people are just abusing CGI mm. or, or not doing the practical thing. But the thing is that films, for me, this is the argument that films need to be realistic. It's so false because films are inherently a fabrication. The second you're pointing a camera at something, there is something you are not pointing the camera at, chiefly the person holding the camera. Absolutely. They don't become a part of the narrative unless it's like a found footage yeah. thing. But even then... It's not, and that's not like you know the dogma, dogma eighty five, dogma ninety five movement bugs me because ninety five, yeah, because it's about realism, and I'm like, yeah, but you're pointing a camera somewhere. the 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 form of cinema is fabricated. Mm. You cannot it's pretend. It's yeah. about blurring the lines. Between well, that's two. why uh, this is going off topic, but uh, Speed Racer. I love Speed Racer, and people go, oh, you know, it's unrealistic. It had this really deep uh, view of field, and I'm like, yeah. It's That's a film. It, it is so did Citizen Kane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I'm saying is Citizen Kane and Speed Racer. Speed Racer. I mean, I'd say Speed Racer is a bit Speed better. Speed Racer is but, you the know. Citizen Kane of anime adaptations. That it is. Sure. <laughs> um, but the thing about film sets is they're not dictatorships. You're not coming in as a director and being like. I mean, this is a bit of a later topic. I'm skipping mm. ahead. Uh, you're not saying it's not about getting people to do what you want. It's, I mean, it's in the name. It's, it's a collaborative process. It's a, yeah, it's a collaboration, not a dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Well, th- that was the big thing, like, when I worked uh, on the two short films I've directed, so with L Plates, I've directed more than that. These are the important ones. Uh, from L Plates to Pizza. L Plates, I was a dictator. I controlled things a lot more. And that was because, you know, some of my crew weren't top of line. Uh, whereas with Pizza... Sure. 
I stepped back more. I was directing. I still don't know half of the things that happened on my set. I look back at those live, uh, the live videos they did on set and I was like, when did this happen? But pizza came out much better. And it was because that I let them do their thing. I wasn't micromanaging everything. You uh, learn to have trust. And it's, a yeah. given, and it's a give and take because, and I think a lot of it's also to do with prep work. Mm. When, uh, you know, on Red Curtain Hell, now available on demand, um, <laughs> do that every time until someone buys it. Um, uh, when you've done enough of the prep work, the things that the other people bring to the table are going to match what you wanted. Yeah, they yeah. might not be what you thought of, but they match the tone of the film. They match yeah. what you're going for inherently because you've told, you've given them this wealth of material. You've had these discussions. They're going, like their job is to go for the same thing that you're going for. Yeah. And that's when they talk about everyone being on the same page. It's not about everyone following words you've written. It's about everyone knowing what the next line is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on, who's, on, who's in charge on a set? Who's really in charge on a set? <laughs> uh, would we say the first AD? Pretty much. Yes. For mo- for anyone who isn't above the line, the first AD is the go-to yeah. kind mm-hmm. of person. Um, if anyone wants to know what a first AD is like, there's the great, the King Kong production diaries. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't Peter love, Jackson is great for this, by the way. He's great for his yeah. behind-the-scenes stuff, but the production diaries, diaries are very good because they're very specific topic-based things, whereas a lot of his other stuff is kind of fly on the wall or yeah. they follow the story of making the film, whereas... The King Kong one goes into each department in a lot more detail than anything else he's ever done. Oh, wow! Um, I've got the whole DVD of them, and they actually showed it where I first saw them. Is they showed it to us at film school? Brilliant! To show us about slating systems. Yeah, um, okay, makes sense. And uh, yeah, it, it, it was really cool. Um, but they have a whole episode about the first AD and the, uh, Peter Jackson's first AD. She is so fucking good at her job. She's like the most in demand first AD. Just anywhere. She's really, she's the one who. If you have you watched the behind the scenes on the extended Lord of the Rings? Uh, uh, no, oh not for God. about yeah, not for eight years. There's one where there's a girl crying because that one of the other unit managers was like saying, "No, we can't do that." And the girl had been asked by the first lady to do that to ask for a thing, and he's like, "No, no, no." And she's crying, and the first lady comes in and just demolishes him, and they get it <laughs> all on camera. It is so. This isn't in the. The, the appendices, this is in, you know, there was like that, that series of like about our 90 to 100 minute documentaries made by that yeah. guy who then died, like after the third one. Mm. Um, mm. They're just the documentaries that are like the, if you get the extended edition, they're they the very last disc. disc. They're just yeah. one disc for that documentary. Yeah. And it's on that for the Fellowship of the Ring. In the first one of that, watch that one because she's she's Will there. Do. She's so good. She's I would kill to have her on my side. The set. first AD is interesting because like they're like the most feared person but they're also like your best friend. They are your best friend, especially if you're the director, because they're there to help you get the film done. Yeah. Um, uh, but so like the producers are like the boss, especially the executive yeah. producers. Because like on set, it's the first AD, but technically. The directors the run the set. The first AD is like the person who enacts out. There's like, the, yeah. it's the, the Moff oh. Tarkin. The, of, the, <laughs> the, direct, the director sets the tone of the set as yeah. well. Yes, yes. Um, that, that actually explains why all the ADs I've had have had really weird like CGI faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should... Um, yes. <laughs> but because the directors run the set, it's why it's, if you're a director and safety things go wrong, it's why it's your fault. Because if you've pushed people to do a thing and it's mm. gone wrong, because you could say, no, we've got that. We don't need another take where we're throwing you off a building. No, we've got that. It, 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 it's a fine line when you're a director yeah. um, to push for what you need to push for and to know when you've 
got what you need on when you're you're being too self-indulgent, I think. And I've I've crossed that line. I've been a bit self-indulgent. It comes um, from learning reading. where you yeah. learn how to tow it and everything. Yeah. Um uh, unless it like comes out at, like unless crew disobey you and they go off and do something unsafe without and you've told them not to, that would be an exception, I think, yeah. to being culpable. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think we agree it's always the crew fault and not ours, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, sure. Totally right. Yeah. Um so how does a director work on a set? Cool. Uh, How long is a piece of string? <laughs> <laughs> I think it also depends on the movie. It depends on the director yeah. and it depends on the movie because different yeah. directors work different for different kinds of projects. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, I think, you know, like for example, J.J. Abrams on Star Trek would, he didn't plan any shots. Aside from the CGI stuff which he had to, he didn't plan anything. They made it all up there on the day for Star Trek. Wow. Yeah, no storyboards, that's incredible, nothing, and, he, oh and so that's why. And they came up with the shaking of the camera, and the, so that's why the camera is very, it's very high uh, octane. octane as far as the camera's moving, the camera's yeah. cutting all the time, but it also has like a very specific vision. Yeah. I know Steven Spielberg did not plan <laughs> the Normandy beach landing; he came up with that as he went, and he oh, just wow. knew exactly where they were going. But then the rest of the movie, he did. Um, I know, like, Adam McKay, as a director, he's very big on improv, very big on throwing people off, resetting edit, resetting background extras, doing a lot of things. David Fincher has the famous story of, you know, he does a million takes. Yeah. yeah. Um, or Terrence Malick. Well, Fincher's intro, because he's like, he's, like, very specific. He's like, I'm going to use this shot for only, like, 12% of the scene and then I'm going to use this for 8%. And I'm just like, yeah, he gets down. He knows where he's cutting. I love listening to the audio commentary of David Fincher, specifically in Gone Girl. There's this one bit where a car pulls up and he's like, everyone complains about me taking a thousand takes. This shot here, three takes. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, I know, well, Terrence Malick is an interesting one because if you're an actor on a Terrence Malick film... Be prepared you might get to cut just, out completely. Well, that or just be prepared to just you do a scene and you're just doing it, and he'll want and you you look he'll up and off. he's gone like two kilometers down the road to film a bird, mm. and he's followed some nature things, and what, you're not in the scene. You haven't is, been in the man. scene in, in <laughs> ages. What, what's your process? Do you do you guys have a process yet, or are you still figuring it out? I'm still figuring out my process, yeah. but I I think see what I need to do is uh. And it's going to be interesting going forward. Uh, when we spoke to Pat, I had more confidence in Pat, so I let him. I have a confidence few more. in Pat Shine, <laughs> but uh, and because like uh, like I knew where I wanted them, I, I would figure out the blocking. We would work through it together. But we'd go cool, and then I'd focus on the performance. And because like the performance to me is very uh, important. If I've got a DOP I can trust, a DOP who's doing it right, then I can focus on the performance and get that down pat. Um, down pat. Down pat. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also because I'm an editor, I always think of the edit. And I'm yeah, always you like, shoot for it. I well. shoot for yeah. the edit. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this, to bit, me is, this I bit. don't know how there are filmmakers who... I get like if you're maybe Paul Greengrassing it, yeah. And you know that the edit is going to be as frenetic as your camera work. So you're filming the camera work to feel like the edit, yeah. not knowing exactly where you're editing, but it matches that anyway. I don't think the people who are just like, this is one of the reasons why I don't like Ridley, Ridley Scott, Scott a lot at the moment yeah. because his policy has changed since he started filming. His policy now is literally there's a quote, he goes, I just point 12 cameras at it, I'll figure it out later. And that's his <laughs> thing. That's his fucking philosophy. And that's why I think a lot of his movies have lost that 
That's what Ridley like, Scottness, like something like Blade Runner, he would never have shot that way, no. and he didn't shoot it that way. Alien, he didn't shoot it that way. Thelma and Louise, he didn't shoot it that way. The Martian, he shot that way. Exodus, Gods and Kings, he shot it that way. And there's a reason why. I mean, everyone loved The Martian, but it's not his best. No, <laughs> very no. much not his best. Um, for me, I have sort of I talked about it a bit about it. When we had Pat, and I kind of figured a lot of it out when I was doing my feature. I'd done a lot yeah. of shorts and your shorts because you're there for such a short amount of time. It's almost very messy. Mm. Even on like a really well organized short, you're kind of very messy process. But on the feature, you're doing it day in, day out for a very long time. Yeah. Um, for me, I'd come in, I'd, I, I know kind of how I want it to be shot. And that's not like locked in, it can change depending on how it looks. But um, how I figured out to work best with Pat was to get the actors in. And this is kind of how they do it on a lot of professional sets. You get the actors in, oh, I get you it. block it. Whatever. No, I, like, <laughs> I was always like, I'm not going to work that way because I don't have two million, you know, I don't have millions of dollars, but it's actually kind of a really efficient way of working. Yeah. Um, I kind of get why they do it. Is you bring in the actors, you block it out, um, and then what happens on like a, a professional set is they send the actors out, you get the stand-ins, you light to what the blocking is, mm. and then you do whatever. But um, for me... I keep the actors there normally i would put because you couldn't afford yeah i get the actors in (laughs) i get the actors in makeup first really early yeah maybe running their lines i'd be on set trying to figure out how i want to shoot it get the actors in you block it you tell pat where you want the camera you tell your cinematographer (laughs) no you tell pat you tell pat call him up you go the only cinematographer ever working now um roger deakins you know (laughs) um and then the cinematographer will light to that blocking then you run it through. If you like it, you go for a take and you go yeah. for as many takes as you need until you get it. Next setup. Um, and a lot of the work you should be doing in the downtime as a director is figuring out how to make it more efficient because you're always going in with 12 shots and you're only ever going to get like four of them. Oh God, that's too real, man. It's <laughs> way too real, but that's you kind of need to either figure out ways in which your setups can cover more angles per setup, mm. which is the big, like that's kind of, I think of the real dark art of directing is, being able to get like six different kinds of shots within the one shot lighting setup, and then you, it makes it look like you did a whole lot more work than you that's, did. That's what I've done with my recent shot list for my film coming up. It's uh, I, I, it's because like now I've actually got like worked on the script for a long time now, and now it's actually locked in. And just I'm sorry, I, I haven't read it yet. It's, it's on the list. <laughs> yeah, Shane. <laughs> it's uh, I see like I shot listed it from the script and just from my visual, I can actually see it now. I'm just like, yeah, there's shots where I've done, I put in extra coverage for safety, but if we on the day you can get rid of it, I'm, I'm going to be happy because I know exactly where I want that camera for the other shot that will get that coverage regardless. So yeah. oh, it's a big just like thing, over planning it. Yeah, a big thing I learned is inserts and the power of inserts. And yep. I discovered this re-watching Whiplash for the umpteenth time in just how... Damien Chazelle has very specific ways that he shoots other things. But your inserts save you. The inserts... And I learned it more so on my feature because we almost lost a whole bunch of inserts that we'd shot. And without the inserts, the movie looks like crap and it doesn't work. Inserts will save <laughs> your life in the edit room when you need it. Like, um, oh, what's that fucking movie Ten, uh, not Ten Cloverfield Lane, damn it. The Cloverfield Paradox, how like <laughs> the inserts were literally just stuck there to go, oh, by the way, But a lot of Abrams stuff, they do all their inserts at like the offices. Yeah. So yeah. I know they do so much stuff. <laughs> um, I love what, hearing how dodgy real productions are. I'm like, yeah. I'm not that bad, yeah. Uh, so how do actors work on set, Chanster? 
Uh, just hang out. Hang out until the director asks for you. Don't learn your lines. Fuck that. What's great? <laughs> I know Jennifer Lawrence. I heard that Jennifer Lawrence doesn't bother to learn her lines until she's in the makeup chair because she spends three hours in the makeup chair so she learns yeah. them all day. I'm like, oof. Unless she's playing Mystique, then she's got 15 hours and the first 14 is just her hanging out. Then she spent the last Yeah. Well, I know she didn't she go to sleep in it? Yeah, she she'd sleep yeah. in it. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, as an actor, I I usually like to plan out you know, I work out where all my beats are and stuff before we get to set, when we start getting to set. And usually, like, I haven't worked on too many things where we have time for rehearsal. And it's not till we're in to actually filming when we're getting it ready for the shots or when we're already shooting that a director would come up and go, hey, what about this? Throw this at me. Or I work with bad directors who don't tell me anything and then I'm like, oh. I guess I was right all along. I was on Jay. a set. I was they, a, they just sit at the monologue. I was on, a, yeah. like, hey. I was on um, an extra on a set um, and uh, we were there and we were <laughs> like, they were like, okay, and we're ready to go. I'm like, we have, we've literally been given no instruction. What? And I had, to, I stopped, I, I put my hand up. I knew the people who ran it. It yeah. might have still been a bit rude, but I was like, what are we doing? Can someone tell us what we're doing? The director had not given any instruction to any of the actors and we were there on camera, like right behind the main <laughs> actors. I was like, we need, we're, what, are we standing there? Yeah, we'll, like we'll just be standing there like yeah. staring awkwardly. Yeah, and uh, they eventually gave us instruction, but I was kind of like, you need to, that's need I think, a third AD. That's, that's I think as a director, oh, that's the other thing I forgot to mention. When you're on set as a director, you're going to be being asked, 12 questions, uh, you know, per, per to every 10 <laughs> seconds, you know, and it doesn't stop. And people, I don't know if this has happened to you guys, people ask you questions while you're in the middle of talking to someone else. Yeah. They will yeah, yeah, base yeah. everyone, no matter who they are, where yeah. they are on set, they will ignore the fact that you're in conversations with other people and you have to navigate what's weird is you have to like kind of... Like, you're a PA. <laughs> you no, but not even that. Like, people go, oh, is, can you check the, the, the makeup? Is this oh, okay? Yeah, totally. At the same time, are you telling this guy and you need the light exactly here and the camera to do this and then this person saying, the actor's asking you for uh, what you want the blocking and you're like, just even, stop. Even, even funnier that it was when they do things that you didn't like but without your permission. So once uh, I set up, like, the props exactly where I wanted it and then I'm talking to my DP and then I see out of the corner of my eye someone moving those props and I'm just like no <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. they'll ask for permission for things they don't need and then they yeah. don't ask for permission exactly <laughs> but they do yeah. need it for uh, um and that's part of your thing is that you have to keep you, you as a director you're keeping like hundreds of things of like it's juggling in in mental juggling you're keeping a dozen balls up in the air at any yeah. one time not letting any of them drop because if you do, you'll forget a scene, you'll forget a shot, something won't yep. work, something will break, safety will go. And you, you're juggling a lot of the thing and kind of a lot of that is remembering who asked you what in what order, <laughs> how to address what yeah. they asked you and you just have to like, you, you know, someone will come and, and again, say, just hold on two seconds, da, da, da. You have to give like a faster instruction to get them out yeah. so you can move to the next one. Yeah, and again, you're not infallible. It's okay to yeah. screw up. Like, yeah, that's yeah it's okay thing. to screw up unless someone's safety is compromised. Yes. yes. Um, so That's the things, I guess the, the things bar. you compromise, like, I mean, because a lot of filmmaking is compromising and I think the first thing you compromise, you, the first thing you get rid of is your ego. It needs to leave the, it need, you need to kick it out Until the fucking Until you door. finish the film and it's good. <laughs> then yeah. you bring it back. Then you like, bring it back, back and you baby. bask in your ego, but you kick it out the door first because it's going to waste the most time yeah. on things. I've, my ego, I've talked about this on the podcast before, a jib shot that I was convinced was the right <laughs> thing for the movie and it was absolutely terrible and we ditched it. But I made everyone stop and spend 20 minutes setting up the jib, doing the shot and it was terrible and that was my ego getting in the way. And you're, it's always kind of going to happen. You have, it's, it's not something you can, 
fix and then you're good forever. You just it's something you have to keep in check. That being yeah. said, it it can save you because a lot I, you've had times yourself where you don't want to be a pushover. No, because if you lose your there's vision, a moment where you put your foot down and you become a director. Yeah, and you make a decision, and it's one where you there's. I don't think there's a way to articulate the difference between something that's a bad decision and something that is the right decision Mm. that's going to be harder than the easy thing. I think, you know, it's the difference between what is right and what is easy. Um, (laughs) As Dumbledore would say, uh, I feel like, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not infallible. You're going to make bad decisions and when you watch your movie back, all you see are your bad decisions. But at the same time, every now and then you'll see the one that you knew was right and I guess maybe doing it enough, I don't know, I haven't done it enough to really have that measurement, but I think, you know, listening to Guillermo del Toro talk about being 25 years in filmmaking, you start to get a sense of knowing your rhythm and when you're bad. It's art, like it's just practice and you keep at it. It's it's, it's a a craft, it's It's a craft, craft. it's absolutely a craft. Uh, How do crew work on set? Like you're under, you're, so there's under the line. Uh, so below, the line. below the line. Below the line. It's a proper term. So for audiences, for <laughs> listeners, term, Charles. <laughs> sorry, for listeners who don't know, above the line is like it is like director, first AD, head of department, head of department. Below the line are all the scum. grunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the gr- the people who do a lot of the they're, grunt. They're work. the worker bees. Yeah, yeah they're the yeah. worker bees. They're the yeah. worker bees. Um, how do crew work? Well, I think the key to success in the film industry is remembering that no matter how low you are on the chart, like you need to be doing your job. You need to have a good attitude about it. And you Absolutely. don't, you, you got to always be like, I'll do this, I'll do this. You're responsible for something. What you've or, been given responsibility yeah, to do. Yeah. yeah. So no matter how small it seems, do your fucking job. And, and if uh, something goes wrong, tell someone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And tell someone as soon as you can because either if you're scared of being fired, either you don't tell someone, they're going to find out it was you, it's inevitable, and then you will be fired. Whereas if you tell someone, you could possibly still be fired, but you might not. Mm. Whereas the other way guarantees you being fired. Yeah. 100% of the time. I think respecting the hierarchy is also really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've had, I've been on sets where like, a random as a director it depends on the size of the set i guess where you're getting someone suggesting a shot oh, i love those and then not and a it's got nothing to do with the film they just think they've got a really cool idea there's no backseat directing yeah for sure and there's you, a you point get actors like that as well oh, oh yeah there's a yeah yeah who, who, who will direct the other actors behind your, behind back, your back and you have to back. then go in and fix it because they've been told the wrong thing. Yeah, recent stories about this. I might have to tell you off air because I need to mention. <laughs> uh, well, we, we can avoid names. I, w- I had a, uh, I was shooting a short where the actor was giving accent training to, because I had everyone oh, doing Jesus. American accents and he was giving accent training to the other actors and wow. badly. I was just like, what are you doing? Or he'd argue with every shot I was doing I'm like this isn't your job to worry about where the camera is the camera mm. should be invisible to you should be, yeah. you should be in the moment um, but yeah the strict hierarchy and respect the hierarchy and if you have an idea go to your department head tell them or if you're an actor maybe you have not even an actor just go with one of the other actors and say hey I was thinking this is this something we should maybe bring to the director and if they're like oh that's a bit weird 
ditch it. It's probably a yeah. shit idea. Everyone <laughs> has shit ideas. The director is dropping more ideas than he's saying out loud. Exactly. As you're shooting, you're just not hearing any of it. <laughs> not every idea on a set is great. Um, but yeah, the, I think that if something goes wrong, tell someone is a huge one because it often doesn't happen and then people are like, wait, we're about to shoot and we don't know about this thing. Why didn't you tell me sooner? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is, that is a big one uh, that's affected me before where like you find out either at the last second or while you're shooting and you're like, all right, they pick up that prop. Wrong. Where's that prop? We, don't, we haven't had that prop for two weeks. Why did we not have that prop for two weeks? What? Uh, <laughs> and I think being organised, especially if you're a department head, Mm. No, if you've been given a list of things to do, do it. <laughs> Don't not do it and then say, oh, and then when they ask why isn't it done, oh, I was going to do it later. Like, no. I I was in post on my feature doing some sound stuff, post sound stuff, and I'd send a list of sound things that needed yeah. work. And I'd send the list to the guy and he'd go, okay, cool. And I'd say, and it's two weeks good for these changes. He's like, yep, come back two weeks, send me the cut, I listen to it. And pretty much all of the notes I'd given were still applicable to the same cut. And I'm like, why didn't you do this? And he was like, oh, well, I was just doing uh, this other thing. I was really focusing on this thing. I'm like, well, then why did you tell me the cut? Why did you send me a cut? Why didn't you say I haven't done this? Yeah. I need you to communicate with me what you have and haven't done. I, I think one of the, and this is something where you're respecting the hierarchy. When you're in a post-production role like that, uh, like either sound design or editing, if you have an idea that might work but the director doesn't like it, do what the director reckons maybe. Because I've had some where... Yeah, at the end of the day, it's the director's film. And and because if it is the worst decision imaginable, it's going to ruin the entire film, the one who has to wear it is the director. People don't say the movie was bad, the second AD and the boom swinger, oh, what terrible... No, they say the director was the (laughs) worst director ever. The director is going to cop it, so if they want it, at least then they can own the mistakes that they've made. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've edited a short recently, and there were some ideas that I didn't agree with the director, so I would give him a cut with, like, my ideas, and he was like, do this. And I was like, okay, I'll do it that way, and he'd look at it and go, you know what, you were right, that way was better. Or he's like, no, I prefer it my way. And I'm like, cool. Either way, I'm facilitating your vision Let's and I've had to do that with your short as well. Like yeah. in that, I, it, I have to turn off director brain, yeah. especially because I'm a very idiosyncratic director, yeah. which isn't always a good thing. Mm. Um, it's more often a bad thing, let's be honest. <laughs> um, especially when they're things that I didn't want to cut to begin with, but I've been told to cut and then you're saying don't cut it. And I'm like, oh, but, but, but I only just came to the decision that we should cut it. Come on, man, just cut it. Don't make this hard. When you're submitting to... A certain facility, and you have to cut things out because they yeah. tell you to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so what's what's uh, what's not to do? What do you not do on a set? Uh, just bitch. Don't get me wrong, bitching will happen on a set. Oh, Half all the, of the time. Set is we're talking bitching. about that film that we were on two weeks ago that was terrible, <laughs> and how awful is that person? That happened. Yeah, uh, but 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 keeping your attitude towards making the film as good as it could be is yeah. important. I've done jobs like really, uh, I've been a runner on a TV show that I don't watch, I hate, I do not give a shit about. But I, uh, yes, Shane, it's that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I worked my hardest on that and that gave me more work. I worked on another TV show that I also don't give a shit about, but I got paid for it, so it's okay. Well, but, but like the attitude is your key thing. Attitude is everything. good attitude. Yeah. 
about what you're and doing. And you remember, well, I've had, you know, we just shot a, I shot a musical for Trotfest. Mm. I didn't get in. Um, I was shortlisted though. Uh, but, uh, and we had some, I had some assistant, production assistants on set that I'd never yeah. worked with before. And uh, I mean, Josh, you were on that one. Mm-hmm. This isn't referring to you. You had a great attitude anyway, but we, we'd worked before. How shit was Josh though, I know, right? right? <laughs> Fuck, honestly. <laughs> um, I had some production systems that I got from the blue. They were like recommendations from recommendations. Like it was, yeah. I didn't know them from a bar of soap and they came on with the best attitudes imaginable and you remember them. Mm. And when you go to do something next or when you get money, you're like, I want this person because they showed up when I didn't have money. Yeah, you know, exactly. uh, They were there for you. They were there, yeah, they were there when you were poor, which means they're going to be work extra hard for you when you're paying them. <laughs> yes, exactly. well, that, that's the thing. If you, if, if I'm working with someone, where when we're not being paid, no one's being paid, and they don't have a good attitude, then I'm not going to give them the opportunity for paid work. Yeah. Because what's to say they're not going to act any different? Whereas mm. if you're working amazingly when you're not being paid, there's a pretty good chance if you do get paid, you're going to fucking destroy it. Um, this is the one person I'm going to name and shame just because it's not a shame thing. Rio. Yeah. Rio Zulis is a DP I've worked with. He was the uh, cinematographer for L Plates. We got into a lot of arguments, but if there is one thing I can say about him is he has an amazing attitude. He puts in 110%. And of all the people in my film school, he's the guy who's working on every set because he always has such a great attitude. People go, hey, have you worked with Rio? Rio wants to be there. He wants to work. Mm. And I, I like... Hands up, like, good on him. That is fucking great for him. Pat had nothing but great stuff about Rio from having worked on um, uh, Pizza Deliverance. Right, and he was working in much smaller roles than cinematography, and it doesn't matter what size role Rio's doing, he puts in 110%. This has become the Rio Appreciation Podcast. Hey, Rio, if you actually listen to this. The Mighty Rio Picture Race. Yep. That's the mighty picture, Rio mighty Mo- the mighty now. Rio picture Rios. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think another thing. I think a lot of the problems that come from higher up stem from egos in the way that people are kind of under the impression. I've, the worst sets I've been on when people are treating like they, they, they just act as if what they're doing is so high and mighty and amazing. Yep. It's a craft, and that's why I think a lot of the people when they talk about art are maybe leaning towards that. Not always. Um, Guillermo del Toro talks about it in terms of art, but it's a craft. We're not, we're not, you know, Galileo painting this. It's not Galileo, but we're not painting the Sistine Chapel. We're not making, you know, these really important, we're making, we're putting on plays for people to watch and, and laugh at and have fun with. And I think a lot of the ego problems come when people are sort of think of what they're doing as being, so much more important with a capital I than yeah. it is. It's mm. important to you and it should always be important to you. But it, you have to act as if everything you make, no one gives a shit about. Yeah. Because that's the only way. Don't. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> a lot of the time they don't. Um, and then, and that's the only way you're going to feel fulfilled at the end of it. And it's not going to make mm. you bitter about things. Because if you, all you care about is what other people think about you, that's the worst way to make it. Because, you know, if you want to be liked, I don't know, become a. I was going to say become a politician. It sounded no. like you were about to say become a politician. I'm like, who the fuck likes politicians? Uh, if you, I would vote someone in and hate them still. If you want to be liked, become a porn star. It's not That's actual true, like, true. but... No, I like every porn star. Shallow like. Good old <laughs> um, Jenna Jameson. Is she still a porn star? I don't know. She was in, uh, what is it, Zombie Strippers. Uh, She's the only one who comes to mind. <laughs> Before we get to our top five, have you guys got any horror stories from set? Anything you want to <laughs> divulge on, on Mike? 
no, like not not naming and shaming. No. But I've had people who you know don't name shame. Yeah, no, where they were in a pretty high position, um, and they use that to not do their job. They are pretty much like I'm the head of the department. I get everyone under me to do my job, and because of that, nothing got done. Yeah, uh, mm. you know, the rest of us did their job, and. Uh, obviously, I haven't worked with that person before that person. since. The, the one time I actually got them to do a job because I was like, go do this thing because you haven't done anything yet. All they did was bitch and complain about me for the rest of the shoot. Mm-hmm. So someone didn't get a job after that. Um, I've been on a set where uh, I actually turned it into a scene in Red Cut Hell. There was an actress <laughs> who she couldn't cry she she couldn't <laughs> I, have i told this on yeah. air before i feel like you have when we, we yeah probably she couldn't yeah. cry everyone yeah. had to leave the room so she could cry i love it because it's not a scene in red Hell. it's a scent it, it's something someone people says. bitching about someone having yeah. done that um on my own set i had the safety thing go wrong when there's a scene where a character gets their head bashed against the wall right. yep. and I the, know the it's, one. it's bashed twice and on the second time the actress for real hit her head mm. I shut it down, got ice pack. I was panicking because we weren't doing it with, you know, necessarily all above board stunt mm. wise. Um, and I didn't like, I mean, it was an accident. It was no one's fault. No one did it. It just happened because of the intensity of the scene. Yeah. And she hit her head and I felt really bad about that. And I always think there must have been a safer way to do it. I, I kicked myself over that yeah. happening because that wasn't the only real injury considering everything else we were doing in that movie. That was pretty yeah. good. Um, we had people standing on like two meter high above the crown. I'm surprised no one fell no, off those yeah, I'm very surprised no one fell off those things, but we were pretty good with it. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that we cheated, mm. we had people not falling forward. We yeah. shuffled over so they weren't falling into open air. They were falling onto flat surfaces yeah. but because the camera wasn't seeing the ground and that's part of the thing is that you've got to find tricks and things oh, to yeah. do camera it tricks yeah. is the best camera tricks is the best uh, uh, uh oh this is a while back did a trop fest film uh with pat pat was directing um and oh. that was the scene yeah fisticuffs yeah good old fisticuffs uh where i had to kick one of the characters in the <gasps> yeah and we, we we did what, like six or seven takes? You we kept on doing so it. So many takes and rehearsals and not once in any of it did anything go wrong. No, not at all. Until the last take. <laughs> and we were like, you know, cut print, use that one because he actually got hit in the nuts. Um, luckily, I was fine. Eh, my, foot, my foot seemed a little bruised afterwards. So <laughs> put a bit of ice <laughs> oh, my that, God. You know? uh, I've been on a set where... People left the camera alone. They were feeling like a nightclub oh. thing. Film school has so many things wrong. Left the, the, the camera alone and it tipped. It was like a 5D and this is when Ooh. 5Ds were brand new. Yeah. yeah. Um, tipped over, shattered, and it was a guy's own one. It wasn't like oh, schools. Yeah. N- no one could replace it. That reminds me of another name and shame moment. Uh, on L plates, there was this moment where we destroyed a set and everyone went, fuck yeah, destroy the set. So we all ran off. So nice thing, uh, while we were smashing the set, I ended up going outside, looking outside, noticing the camera was outside, and I was like, oh, yeah, we were shooting stuff seconds before this. And lo and behold, lone figure standing there holding the tripod, just Josh, just, just standing outside alone. It was like a really good Josh. It, it, it was like I turn around, look at uh, everyone like jumping around <laughs> in these cardboard boxes and looking back and just Josh standing there holding the tripod. Josh watches cameras. Be more like Josh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
Um, um, before we move on, I do want to say one thing. This is a. Oh, I had one more horror story. Oh, okay, do your horror story. Um, is- there was a baby on the set oh, on Jesus, one of the no. film school oh, sets, and he needed the baby to cry. He sent did the he mother. Did he go up? Did he slap the baby? No. <laughs> he sent the mother away under the pretext of something else and then yelled at the baby until it cried to get it to cry on camera. The- this is the same guy who his policy for directing actors was he would. Just, I'm quoting. He walked up to an actor, after no discussion. He go, see it, feel it, be it, go. Yes, I am in. Oh, 100% favourite director <laughs> ever. Was, it was the wankiest and the film was wanky. Was that what he yelled at the baby? <laughs> no, no. I think he just... See it, feel it, be Yeah, he, he sent the mother away to make it cry and that was just like, nah. Like, nah, that is just fucking dodgy. That, that's so bad. Terrible. I think though that person having spoken to them after the fact, they realised a lot of the stuff, at least they'd learnt from their mistakes. That's they'd realised a lot of the stuff they did was shit. That, that, that's another thing about sets. They're always a learning experience. They are. No yeah. one knows everything on a set. And you anyone who walks learning. around pretending they know everything is avoid them like the plague because they're going to be terrible. There's a difference between not being like a panicky wreck on yeah. a set mm. you don't let on that you may be struggling with things there's the fake it till you make it but there's not being arrogant about it exactly. yeah. so what were you gonna say uh, so i was gonna say uh what, one of the things that has like helped me on every set i've been on was not every set I, it only came out like two years ago uh was a book called set life by matt uh matt webb i believe his name is he was one of the ad's that i worked with on pirates and he pretty much wrote a book not chronicling his uh, experience in the film industry, but pretty much just like talking about what it's like to be on the set. Because he was like yeah. on a lot of sets. He, he, he was on Alien Covenant. He had like little bits written from like Ridley Scott and from all the... Uh, oh, cool. he, he was on Mad Max, so he had stuff uh, by... I'm struggling. George Miller. George Miller. Um, and, and yeah, it, and that book was so useful. It tells you set everything. Set life by Matt Webb. I think I may be getting his uh, uh, his um, name wrong, but yeah, honestly, that is one of the greatest utilities I've ever used. I advise everyone to go out and buy it if you want to work on a set. Read that book because it tells you everything you want to know about what's happening on a set, what you should be doing, how you should act. Um, unless you're Josh and you're just a good guy, <laughs> don't read the book, Josh. You're um, perfect. Well, that's a good I place. I do want to read a book though. <laughs> that's a good place to to end the discussion. Let's go on our top five. And for our top five this week, we're picking our top five movie sets, as in like sound stage sets. Good, because that's what I thought you meant. And then I looked at uh, Josh's yeah, top five, no. and I was like, no, "Well, you could look. Did look, I you get can, this wrong? No, wait, no, no, is no. It, are you just like? Because I figure like we couldn't do like personal set. Is that what you've done? Literally, what Josh has done. I did a, I did okay, a personal yeah. and like auto, and okay. my auto is like. Well, we'll go. I, I should have been a little more specific. Yeah. Although I did write in brackets there, as listen- in soundstage sets <laughs> in the notes that I sent. So yeah, it was a bit too late for that. <laughs> he had already written his top five before getting to that part of the paragraph <laughs> of the line. It's like one <laughs> word. Um, uh, well, do you, oh, I'll go first. Yeah, just uh, so my honorable mentions: uh, Ancient Babylon from Intolerance, Love Struggles Through the Ages. It's like a 1918 movie, and it's like one of the largest sets ever made. There's a, there's a game called La Noir. Yep. And I believe that part of that game, you go walking on like the rundown set from this movie. Oh wow! Uh, it, it's it's huge. If you can find pictures from it, it's gargantuan it, it, set, like bigger than the Cleopatra sets. No, no, no. Uh, that's this is on my uh, uh, sorry. on my mentions. The Forum from Cleopatra in 1963 is literally three times the size of the real one that they would 
like in why real would they life. do that isn't because that the they, opposite they, of what they yeah, do? Yeah, they were like they didn't want they wanted to make it bigger than real life. And Italy almost ran out of building materials because they shot in Italy. Yeah, and Italy, like the country Italy, ran out of building materials <laughs> to make this set. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got Hobbiton because it's iconic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, in Magnolia, there's a set for the game show. What do kids know? And it's really cool because it looks so legitimate. Yeah. Mm. Um, and Blade Runner, basically the whole of Blade Runner would have been on this list. Yep. So I put in. Uh, and the terminal, they built an entire terminal. Oh, wow. In yes, the soundstage. Yeah. It, like, it was so big, it was like it was on the very edges of the soundstage. It's oh. a really fascinating making of, of that cool. movie. But my top five, uh, number five is the cockpit from Pacific Rim. The yep. Jaeger, yeah. the okay. Gypsy Danger cockpit is such a cool yeah. set. There's so much detail to it. It's all practical detail. It all means something. Del Toro is on this list more than once. Um, <laughs> number two is Hogwarts from Harry Potter. Do you know how hard it was for me to keep yep. Del Toro? Wait, I'm like, four, Jane's going to do Del which, Toro. Which style of it? Like after Curon or pre? The Grand Hall never changed. Yeah. That's true. And I like the Grand Hall is pretty iconic uh, to me. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, the, the dining hall. Great hall. The great yeah, hall. It is the great hall, yeah. Uh, number three is the center of the labyrinth from Pan's Labyrinth. The bit, yeah. it's not the bit, the actual outs the exterior bit which is cool it's the down, down into in the it pit. with yeah. like the, the circles where the fawn is and I just love it um, number two is Minas Tirith from Lord of the Rings which the king yeah. I had to pick one I put Hobbiton in there because it's iconic but Minas Tirith is it, the weight of that city is there even though it's not made out of actual marble yeah you know that's what's kind of really cool about yeah, that totally. um, and then number one is Titanic is the Titanic oh, from Titanic because yeah. they built it for real to actual size <laughs> in an actual place. Uh, and that's pretty cool no, to awesome. me. Um, who do you want to go? Josh or Chanster? Chanster. Uh, is that because you're like brainstorming what you could actually do instead of your No, 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 no. Do, you, do your actual do, list. Do, do, do yeah. your list. I got that. <laughs> okay, well. I, was, I, was, I did auto. So um, yeah. I was going to do set wise, uh, not like. Uh, Swiss Army men because into the Daniels, the, the, the idea, like what they're doing out there on a certain how they're running it. Did they film it. on location for that or did they yeah. build any sets? Um, there, there was a lot of location stuff. Um, yeah. They were actually carrying up like Daniel that makes That makes like the dummies. movie instantly more difficult. Because yeah, on a set you can control everything. It. Yeah, and they it's one of my favourite ideas that they have is just like, if anyone's being a dickhead on this set, you're gone. If you're hurting our set, you're gone. Like, we just want people that we was, like. Uh, Greta Gerwig had a really great piece of advice. I was waiting for you to see this. Yeah. Um, was, uh, it was... If anybody from, like, no matter who they are, they're uh, hurting. If anyone is hurting, everyone... Oh, sorry, sorry, this is the actual... If everyone is um, expendable if they're hurting the film. Anyone on set is expendable if they're hurting the film. Cool. No, and that's like really that. cool. Yep. Um... So I do one that's somewhat close to um, the Helm's Deep. That set, that's actually yes. built in built in Wellington, in like uh, a rock quarry. Yeah, it was like filmed over like a year, like and like they actually got t-shirts as like I survived Helm's Deep. Like this, like the <laughs> yeah. detail yeah. and like what Peter Duncan did in that set is absolutely amazing. Uh, I can do number two, uh, number three would be Predator. This like. Those bunch of dudes, John yep. Materium out in the bloody jungle. Like, what's going on <laughs> there? I think of Tropic Thunder when I hear that yeah, kind yeah. of set up. Practically, them just like working out each day, trying to one up each other. This sounds, <laughs> sounds nuts. And it's in the 80s, so cocaine galore, probably. <laughs> uh, and then also Evil Dead. 
Uh, yep. Just also yeah. cabin. Close aloof. Cabin um, in the woods. Yeah. Just Where, like, like, trying to get to the cabin cabin with all the film gear was just was treacherous. Just dangerous. And just, like, he threw um, Bruce Campbell at, like, a wall and the bookshelf just falls over and there's, <laughs> there's just the shit that goes on there and there's, like, that that set. And I'm trying to think. I'll do also Minas Tirith because I think that's a beautiful. It's such a, it's a very, it's because the, the colour is so stark to everything else mm. that we've seen in the lead up in those films. Everything's dirty and gritty and very mm. lived in a Minas Tirith. Also, the, I'll mention to like, like basically, this because I've watched Lord of the Rings as well. It's kind of yeah. in my brain. Uh, the marshes that they did for like the swamp. Like, I was yeah, about like, to say that. They do it twice. They do it, um, I believe, in Fellowship and then in the Two Towers. Like they refilm it and like it's just gorgeous yeah. looking. It's scary. Yes. Cool. Um, I really wanted to hear your personal ones, mainly because the first one was my set, but you know, that's fine. Um, okay. <laughs> Let me give you your personal list. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you Um So uh, my, well, yours is second actually, but yeah. Damn it. Ah. <laughs> um, the first one actually is When Doors Close, which is a film that Rio directed, the one we mentioned before. Such yeah. a good movie. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, produced. And the reason it's not, I know I came to seem like quite biased because it is my number one, but for me, it is perfect. Like what I love about filmmaking, it is removed from the politics of it all. It's simply about craft and storytelling. And I just love being on it. I love facilitating that set. Like Ray yeah. and I had this fun time in it. There is probably still footage of us rehearsing the entire movie as the characters so i'm the husband and like i'm the boyfriend and he's the girlfriend so if that's out there it might be uh my second uh this is going down descending order uh second is l plates to kill now it doesn't known as l plates yeah yeah um which is the girl on here chance anderson set uh yeah. one of my formative sets and one of the most fun sets i've still ever worked on it's just a great experience like chance said he was a dictator but he was like, it was nice to me. I was a benevolent dicta- dictator, yeah. though, right? Um, I was a good dictator. He was a good dictator, and it was a smooth set. Taught me a lot. Just a bunch of fun. Um, and this is when I was really getting into camera department. So it was like, it was. I was learning a lot, but also just putting everything that I'd learned already into place, and it worked out, and it was fun. And yeah, what a, what a great run set. Plus, I think I I went. I remember first speaking to you because I went up to you and talked about your shirt because you had all the different time travel uh, I was like is that the shirt I'm wearing no, it right wasn't. now I was like it's I think I wore it yesterday yeah it was and I was just like I was like it's this is and this and you're like you're the first person who's got it <laughs> yeah also Chance and I were the only two that never got donuts on that set so ah hmm. oh, fucking hell uh, worst set ever are you kidding me we didn't get donuts yeah mm-hmm. totally but we made up for it. We went on that donut walk. Yeah, that was a good walk. Uh, and number three is Monday Morning the Musical. Yeah, I'm a- better than Chanta. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought he was just going backwards in order of how good it was. I am. I went from number one. Suck it, chain. <laughs> no. <Better. laughs> yeah, but um, once again, just what a beautiful, fun set. It was also filmed at my house for one. <laughs> so that was a... Fun day, but it was it was interesting. It was finally really cool to work on a musical, and Shane ran that with a lot of dignity and fun. And there was it was I funny. had to do so much dancing on that set because <laughs> I was and singing, yeah, like, and singing, just, yeah, 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 yeah. It was funny uh, watching it the other day with you. I never realized that when she's tapping on the carpet, the taps go away. I was like, oh right, they don't go away. It's thumpy, carpeted tapping. Yeah. I debated as to whether or not to have it real tapping over it because that's what old Hollywood would have done. Yeah. But it just didn't feel right. And so no, I did it. Enough. But it was really hard to get the sounds to sound like they were there. I had to 
push them so hard. Anyway, that's off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Shane, what a oh, thank great, you. great set. Oh, thank you. Um, number four is uh, On Your Hands, the music video directed by Connor Armitage. Uh, this is kind of a personal set to me too because Connor and I were both um, vying to direct the, this music video for <laughs> the artist. But uh, in the end... He won. He, well, <laughs> I had nobody with me. I was alone. Yeah, you had to fight in the Thunderdome. So. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And um, but he is a beautiful music video that he directed. Uh, he had a wonderful vision. I loved working on it with him as well. And we had a lot of moments together afterwards where we basically very much bromanced out the <laughs> each other. But it was a it was a lovely music video and a lovely set to be on and be in the thick of. And my last set, uh, well, last set on this list is something we filmed. It's like a TV pilot, is um, Origins, because for me, this was everyone was on their A game on this set. It was filmed last, like last summer, January, so like a year ago. Uh, it, we were beaten down, like tired, like every day. I was bleeding on my knees because I had to. Uh, focus pull on a dolly shot that was moving over like rocks on the ground and I like cut my feet open and I did eight takes of it and like my knees kept getting shredded, reopened. Oh no. That was a set, that was my pizza deliverance because yeah, that was a crew that wanted to be there yeah. that was doing their job Absolutely. and yeah. I could only make it one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was the first time my first day seat as well and that was really fun and um, a good experience. So yeah, thank you Sean for that as well. Yeah. Um, that's my personal set, so I don't know if I have any relevance to you guys, but I think... No, it's good, good to hear little stories like that. Yeah. Um, Chance So mine, I unfortunately read that one little text when it was about sound stages, so mine isn't as personal. Oh, uh, but uh, so my top five is, number five is the Enterprise from the new Star Trek movies. Okay, uh, yeah. I really mm. like the way that they are kind of this blend of new technology. <laughs> Like all the sounds that are in that. <laughs> I love watching the uh, BTS of that. How like there's scenes of like J.G. Abrams like with the camera. It's like, all right, guys, now this is going to feel really stupid. But when I say go, all of you move to the left. <laughs> go. And then he moves the camera to the right. And it's, it's those moments where they all like fall and stuff. Yeah. Which is very much classic Star Trek. But yeah. it, done it, in a very high a budget very way. High budget way. And one of my favorite moments of that is when they are jumping from... Uh, they're jumping onto the drill beam. Yeah, and, and they, he just had them standing on mirrors. Well, it took them ages to figure that out. They were hanging themselves upside down. The blood was rushing to their face. And then they finally did the mirror thing where the camera was looking down on them. And then Walter Koenig from the original films walked on set. And uh, I remember, I think it was Chris Pine was always like, I never felt so embarrassed. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I swear we're making a good movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know this looks cheaper than Star Trek, but, but, but this, is, this is good, I swear. Um, my next one is the Nostromo in Aliens. Uh, in oh. Alien, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That set design is just it amazing. It felt so lived in. And it's one of the reasons why I hate Prometheus so much more. Oh my God, yes. Prometheus... Yes. Just feels like sci-fi. It's like, hey, this is a sci-fi ship. You want a ship? We got an alien coming in. The most generic sci-fi slap into the face. Uh, And um, I know you haven't played it yet, Shane, and I still haven't finished it. I haven't talked to you about it, but uh, Alien um, Isolation. Isolation, You keep telling me to play that. It recreates it perfectly. It recreates that entire style perfectly, and it's like, that's what they should have done in Prometheus. They set up a universe. Stick to your fucking style, you fucking Ridley Scott. Bastard. Um, 
Up next uh, is the bowling dream sequence from The Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I know you're not a huge fan of The it's Big Lebowski. It's not that Lebowski. I'm not a fan. I just don't get it and I know I don't get it. Yeah. I know but, it's good. I just know I don't get it either. Uh, well, I don't get that bowling sequence, but I love it. Uh, the, the porno bit where he like walks out, it's got that high shadow up on the wall and he like, dances out. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, just love it. Um, I was debating between one and two. So I'm going to go with my number two is all of Skid Row from The Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. <laughs> yes. It is so obviously a soundstage, but it is so charming and just it's so... It's meant to be a soundstage. Yeah, it's, it's meant to be a soundstage, and I just love it. The, the visuals, I just love Frank Oz. That movie is good. I need so to watch it again. Good. I lent Pat my copy of it, and I don't think I've ever gotten it back. That it's in Sydney now. You've it's lost it forever. No, it's, it's, it'll be in the Gold Coast. He's left it on the Gold Coast. <laughs> I know where he lives. We can break in. Yes. Um, and Which means my number one is Everywhere and Everything in German Expressionism and or Tim Burton. Aww. If you want specifics, fuck it, Coraline. Or, or I know Tim Burton is not. I know Coraline. he's it's Henry. So I'm saying like that style though. That yeah. German Expressionism style. German expressionism, and when yeah. I say Coraline, I specifically mean the dream world. I love the real world as well, but the dr- and this is a practical set. They made those sets. Fuck you. Don't go well with animation. They're miniatures. Yes. They're miniatures, it's a so. set. Yes, um, but yeah, the, the the dream world of that house is the just buttons. so so intricate and interesting. And and I that's why I said Coraline because I think. Coraline is more intricate than anything Tim Burton's done. Tim Burton does do that style. It still kind of feels like artificial a little. Uh, German Expressionism is German Expressionism. So, you know, Nosferatu, all of that's got it. But Coraline, it feels right for the world. Yeah. Uh, And maybe it's because it is animation, but it is a set. So don't argue with me on it, Coraline. Okay. Well, that's a good place to end. Coraline's a great movie. If anyone hasn't seen it, watch it now. It's Amazing movie. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to tweet at us or Instagram us or something, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Picture Rangers. Uh, and you can email us if you have like film theories or things or suggestions or questions. We might do a and a if we get any questions. If you guys have any ideas of any subjects we want to talk, you want to, yeah. want to hear from us about, Pitch us. Yes. Uh, let us know because we're running out I know, of ideas. I know what? someone wanted to do wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who. I could yeah. talk about it, but I don't know that I would be any good at it. Um, Everything uh, I know about wrestling is I know from Max Landis's wrestling isn't wrestling. Yeah, exactly. You can t- you can you can email us at motionpicturerangers at gmail You can find me on Twitter at Shane M underscore Anderson or Instagram at twenty four frames, but the T is a numeral two, and you use the number four, so it's two twenty four frames. Why don't you say that? 24 frames. 24. Because then they might go T-O-O-W-E. Oh, you don't want them following you anyway. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at that Sundance Katie or Caps Chancellor. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chancellor or find me on Instagram at the Chancellor. And Instagram is a better place. Instagram. Thank you, Shane. It is a better place. You just say that. You it normally is. added that yeah, at the end you, of every you episode and you stopped doing that. So now couple. I feel like I have to <laughs> do that. Um, you can listen to this and many other great podcasts at that's not canonproductions.com. Uh, until next week, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Objectively be bad? 
Yes. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from it. I'm Alex Smith. And I'm James Keogh. And on our new podcast, My Songs Suck, we talk to writers and musicians who share with us some of their earlier, less good content and reflect on how far they've come. If you want to get in on the fun, head to That's Not Canon Productions or find us on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever podcatcher you use. My songs suck, because everyone makes mistakes. Just make sure you record them. That's Not Canon Productions podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.